back to the second hour of Love Babs Love Talk, and I'm delighted to welcome uh, my guest, Rachel Calder Nailba and uh, Sophia Moore. I think she's joining us. Good morning. Unmute yourself. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good to see your face. It's good to see your face. I was looking at your, uh, I was looking at your book last night over at Possible Futures because I didn't pick it up yet, and. Uh, but it was such a dreamy looking little book. I was like, Woo! best bookstore to take a look. It is. So, <laughs> so, um, so you and Sophia, I guess she's going to, it's Sophia. Sophie, Sophia. Sophia. I think she's here because I see Chad. Um, sorry, I'm a little late. Oh, there she is. Hello. Hi, Unmute yourself. I see. I see. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. Sorry, we're just trying to figure out the Zoom thing. Listen, that. No like, how to, we're still setting it up. Sorry. I, listen, I do it every day. <laughs> so, so I looked. I was, I was telling Rachel. I, I, I was looking through the book yesterday at Possible Futures Bookstore here in New Haven, which is a lovely. You're right, Rachel. It's a, it's a great space. It's, I love it over there. It's, it's like my second home. Um, and I was looking through the book. So, you know, Rachel, tell me the story about this book. What what was it about this particular story, these stories, or the idea about people with uh, reproductive uh, uh, systems and menstruation? Like, what did, what, yeah. what was that conversation? What was that thinking? You know, it's sort of an I'm like an unlikely person to have done this. It it started really because when I had just gotten my first period. I thought it was like the worst thing that could ever happen to anybody. I was like alone with my widowed grandfather. On a scheme of things, it wasn't that bad, basically. And my great aunt took me aside and was like, sit down, let me tell you a story. <laughs> and she proceeded to tell me a story that was the greatest story that no one had ever told in my family. She had never shared it until I was a teenager. Um, and it's in the book, but the short version is that she got it while she was fleeing, literally on the journey, fleeing Nazi-occupied Poland to, to France, where she was a hidden child during the Holocaust. And oh my God, of all the times, of all the times. Okay. Completely. And there are so many stories like that, Babs. It's like, that's what's, that's why this needed to be a book is that these stories are so often linked. I mean, now we have kind of the science behind it, but like linked to trauma and historical events and our emotional states. And so um, they are an amazing part of like the human story. And after I heard the story in my family, it basically sparked this family oral history project. And then it kind of started as a collaboration with my mom. She then wanted to like ask community leaders in New Haven um, to continue this like gathering. And that's how we got to um, Zanette Lewis, who is Sophie's grandmother, Kika Matos, um, other New Haven community leaders. And that was uh, published as a book in 2009. And it became pretty clear pretty soon after that people have amazing stories to tell beyond just the first period experience um, that like shame, misunderstanding, misinformation, um, these kind of sacred rites of passage happen across our lives and people don't just feel one kind of way about 
miscarriage, menopause, <laughs> everything in between. Um, and that these are just important stories in like the human human family that really remain untold largely. So this, our red book is an expanded version. It's gender inclusive. It's stories from people across all ages. And the idea is really that it's, it's not comprehensive um, because it's, it has to fit between two covers, but that it's a spark um, to, to reflect, to talk with others um, and to just read some really moving accounts like like Sophie's. <laughs> now, Sophie, I, I knew your grandmother. I knew your grandmother, Zanette. And uh, I mean, you know, she's legend in this town and iconic in this town. And, uh, and you know, she was she was a topic of a conversation I had the other day about uh, about people who do art and the Peabody and the MLK stuff and poetry. So um, you, you come from good people, girl. So... Uh, <laughs> So you are representing your grandmother's voice in this in this body of work? Um, kind of, yeah. I wrote um like my own story, but then I also Rachel asked me to write a piece reacting to Zanette's piece. So that was that was really cool. <laughs> and uh did you did you have a chance to know your grandmother? Not really, no. Um I think you must have died. been like a baby, baby. Like you yeah. even yeah. Okay. I think I was um one or two, like one and a half. I don't know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so what does this mean for you to to talk about your period? Because I I imagine you're a young person, younger person. Yeah, I'm fourteen. Um, I I think it's I think it's such a great opportunity because I grew up in a household where um or I'm going up still technically <laughs> like where it's so like it's 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 nothing to be ashamed about like my mom told me about it and she gave me like a whole like period like box kit um, I got one on of my, those too when I when I was birthday. when I was like about your age but I'm sure my box looked way different than your box <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I I think it's just so important to talk about and I I'm so grateful for this opportunity I'm so glad so Rachel when you when you write it when you gather stories like this do, does it raise eyebrows like who who's squirmish about talking about this and are you met with people squirming the squirmishness about talking about women's periods no it's this is a really periods. good question and when i was working on the first version of this book everyone had trouble like and now 12 years later we are truly in a different time like so many people like Sophie, for example, from the get go, she was just like, rad, I'm down, right? Like you didn't blink an eye. You were never like, this is something to be ashamed about. Like the next generation is on board. I've taught this book to um, high school classrooms, college classrooms, my own college students, folks of all genders. They're just like, cool, this is a great story. <laughs> but I think there's still like a frontier honestly um the hardest stories I really wanted this book to be gender inclusive and I heard some amazing stories from single dads um divorced mm. dads who were the caretaker for their teen daughters and really had to learn how to navigate um that conversation being a, a caretaker a supporter the person who buys menstrual care products and they were like wow how did I go through my entire life not knowing any of this 
um, I'm an adult and I know zero. So I think those stories reveal something. And I, I asked all of my male friends, um, my cis male friends, like, would anyone want to interview your mom or your grandma? Like, is that some, is that a kind of conversation that's possible now? Cause I heard so many beautiful stories from kind of younger parents educating their young sons about menstruation in this very enlightened way where it's like, this is where you come from. Like you have, like, you don't have to wait till puberty to have these conversations. You know, you can talk with your kids no matter what, not that I was raised this way at all, but it's starting to happen now where people are raising their kids in a different way. So I thought, huh, I wonder if there are any men that would in be interested in talking about this, would feel comfortable talking about this. And it's interesting, one person who did feel totally comfortable was someone whose mom was disabled. Um, that story is in the book and they just have a very different relationship to talking about the body. Um, so he was like, we, we talk about it already. It's not new, it's not uncomfortable. Um, that barrier has already been broken because we're so interdependent and we have to be so open with each other. Um, but I don't think other people are necessarily there. And my hope is that some of these stories kind of point the way. Now, are you, I, I, is the menstruation story the, the great equalizer across all economic lines and ethnicities and culture? Like, is that the, is that the great thing that keeps us connected? <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> I mean, I think that's that's where I kind of have come out after hearing all these accounts is like truly everyone is connected. There is no one that is not connected. And if you think you aren't connected, that's because you've been actively sheltered <laughs> and like society has really worked hard to like prevent you from learning about it. I don't know, Sophie, if like in your school, did, I don't know, when I was growing up, they did like segregate classes by gender when talking about periods. I don't know if they still do that. Mm. Do they um, do that, Sophie? In, uh, yeah, and I haven't, I'm a freshman in high school now, and um, I haven't taken a health class at my high school yet. But in my middle school, they didn't really do that. Like it was just a joint class. Although in my elementary school they did we had like a intro to health class kind of and they separated us by class um and it was really weird <laughs> it was like, it's, it's weird so now are you sophie are you talking do your girlfriends and guy friends talk about this like does this come up in conversation um i don't um a little bit uh, like when the story I wrote about um, in the book I wrote about like almost fainting in the shower and right after it happened I made this like long video that I sent to all of my friends or like my closest friends to tell them about it and we like if we have like really bad cramps like we'll talk about that like if like you need a pad or a tampon like we ask each other just yeah mm. oh my goodness so so Rachel uh rich women poor women um who are are of age to have a period there there are no there are no uh fancier pads right like there's no gold crusted pads everybody everybody's buying the same pads i think that there is a range and there is a difference 
Um, and I mean, especially if um, you're socioeconomically, like if you're struggling financially, some people don't afford, can't afford pads at all. Um, and so that's a reality that comes up in the book too. And even in the US, um, I think it's one in three uh, students of, yeah, high school, college age, um, struggle to afford supplies. And so that affects attendance. Um, people resort to using, I mean, even in New Haven, I was reading about the, there's a bill right now in Connecticut to um, have all public facilities supply free menstrual care products. There's, it's, it's um, being considered and as some of the evidence, people are talking about what students are using, and students are using crumpled notebooks um, to care for their periods. And so um, there are definitely like fancy products, but I think the real thing to focus on is just that, like, even in this country, the wealthiest country in the world, periods in many states are still taxed as luxury items. Um, it's still out of reach for a lot of people. Obviously, COVID has made that even harder. Um, and it's also different in different circumstances too, like some stories in the book that I think are the, the some of the hard, harder hitting pieces come from incarcerated contributors that also mm. talk about how in prisons, people deny people products as basically an abuse of power, um, or just don't have adequate supplies. People have to buy their own supplies, but they don't necessarily have the, um, money to do that and so and they're, and they're outrageously expensive in prison I mean I've served a little time so I've seen women uh, yeah. uh try to make do because they are they are cost prohibitive <laughs> like they it's, just are it's cruel and and it's a form of punishment and in other parts of the world um Oh, wow. So yeah, so you know this firsthand and I think it's important this book is a global collection and you can almost not get used to that in the U.S., but if you don't know anything different, you don't question it as much. And then you hear from stories from people like right now, Scotland just became the first country in the world to make period products universally free. So prisons, hospitals, schools, um, any public buildings, libraries, they'll all have free products. And if you don't do that in Scotland, it's considered a form of discrimination. Wow. Yeah, right. But it makes sense. Whereas here, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. so so Sophia, do y'all do you have products at school? Are they in the bathroom? See, when I was a kid, you you put a dime in or a quarter, you could get a tampon or a pad, and that'd be it, right? If you didn't have a quarter, you couldn't get it or dime, whatever it was. Um, I. Our school does have like in the bathrooms, they do have these dispensers that are like um, uh, motion activated, although they kind of have a reputation for not working. Like I've tried them before and they don't just to like see and they don't work. But recently, like very recently, like in the last couple of weeks, they put out like um, like a basket that's hung on the wall full of like pads and tampons, although that is also empty a lot of the time because people are mean and we'll just take them and trash them so trash <laughs> girls girls are doing yeah. the girls I people are really rude um but yeah like one time the basket was like full at, I mean I I don't know it's like full at the beginning of the day and then like halfway through the day completely empty and I went in one time and they were just like 
on the floor just like opened like not use but like just like opened and like trashed and I was like why would you do that <laughs> that doesn't make any sense yeah <laughs> like girls y'all gotta empower girls so <laughs> so Rachel you know uh, uh, did you did you think long and hard about the voices you wanted to center in this particular book absolutely um I mean I I think I the the question at the center of the of the book was really what stories need to be told and what stories often remain untold. Um, and so that and, and in terms of like popular culture, in terms of um, mainstream culture. And so I really wanted the book to be um, diverse in terms of its contributors. That was key, but also um, emotional kinds of realities like the book. Um, it needs to represent a, the reality of the world. And so there are stories that um, are celebratory. There are stories that are um, filled with dread. Um, and I think another thing that was really key for, for this book was a big story that felt, or a big um, gap, I'll say, in our, in our mainstream culture is really hearing from gender nonconforming voices about menstruation. Um, and so hearing from trans folks, trans women, trans men, gender non-binary um, folks about their experience and making sure it's also not just like tokenizing. So it's not just one person representing all of that because there are many trans contributors in the book and their stories are all so different. There's one um, Piper who read at our launch event, Sophie, who talks about how for him, um, his first period was his worst nightmare. And it felt like he says a black hole um, because it was the constant reminder that his body didn't line up with his vision of himself. And he never got over it. He's still not over it. He still hates his period. It's not something he thinks you have to accept. Um, whereas there are other trans contributors who have come to terms and celebrate this like, um, complex reality that they live with. And so I really, um, I really wanted there to be this, this range of voices, but also like a, a range within, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, mm -hmm. so, but then the other thing about, about the book that's maybe kind of unique is I had to surrender a little bit to the process. Like I didn't think about categories of people, um, I was really on a trail of like one person and then that person pointed me to the next person and just trying to do it in the most respectful, deeply. Um, I mean, yeah, these stories are really sacred. And so I really wanted to be a good custodian for them. And just by doing that, I found that people pointed me towards interesting voices. And when I went to like make sure I had permission to reprint Zanette's story, um, I talked to Chad, who's Sophie's dad, Zanette's son, and he pointed me to Sophie. And so most of the pieces in the book kind of came that my way that way, um, where it was just like trust and word of mouth. And so by starting with this kind of core group of voices that felt like their stories were so important and really hadn't reached the kind of mainstream um, narratives that we hear, it just kind of rippled out organically. Mm. So Sophie, what was the 
tone of your grandmother's story? Because I hadn't read the book yet. So what what is she saying? Um, oh, let's see if I can remember. Um, sorry. Uh, it's it's um it's like I have the book here, but anyway, um, it's I I think she she's talking about her her mom announcing it to her dad and talking about like hearing stories from her grandmother and her great grandmother about having to live um with her period through like slavery and I kind of talked about that in my like reaction to hers um but yeah so when you when you were when you were when you were relating or or writing your story in 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 connection to her story uh, what were you most struck by um just kind of like how she mentions um one time it's something like being called like a like breeding ground or something like that and like like and I write about like just the fact of being like bred out to people is so gross and disgusting to me like I hate it like I write like my legs close and like my stomach turns and my throat closes like it's just so like Mm, no <laughs> yes I can imagine. so so you know Rachel this got me thinking about how, how over the ages and in history how women had to contend with this right like I can't imagine being an enslaved woman trying to run for freedom or just being an enslaved and just trying to deal with the everyday everydayness of having a menstrual cycle or if I'm an immigrant fleeing a country you know and and I got to contend with this right for however long you have to contend with it and and what do you do with that like how do you deal with that so I'm I'm struck by the historical aspect of it and the right now of it now that we are having these huge discussions and and movement on women's reproductive health yes Yes, I mean, I think Sophie and Zanette's stories are to me like the heart of of this book and the heart of this conversation um, that's much bigger than the book, which is for so long, for centuries, we've we haven't seen history. We the the patriarchy, all of these things have affected how we understand history and where we come from and what stories are told and what stories aren't told. And when you hear these stories, you see where you come from, you see history, you, you actually feel it, you feel it in this really visceral way, like Sophie was describing, like, you have a physical response to it, you recoil, and some of the stories that are being written today, you feel that way too, where it's like, um, you feel it, you feel what's happening, I think it's easy to be numbed by what's happening in the world, but there's something about these stories about menstruation, where like, your body knows, your body responds, and it's um, it's really intense. And I think it's important because it kind of wakes wakes you up on a different dimension to what other people are living through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like a line in the book, something like, um, I think if we studied history through the lens of menstruation, um, we would be in a different place now. I think we would we would have a different relationship to yeah to to yeah. history in this country. So, uh, so do you feel like you have some agency over your body and your reproductive health? I mean, I mean, you're 14, but do you feel like you have some, some rights to your, how you handle your, your reproductive health? Uh, 
yeah I mean I, I I guess so I'm very like um like oh I don't know like uh, like I guess sure of myself people say like I'm very sure of myself I know what I want and I I don't like I I don't let people try to deter me and like steer me away from what I know that I want so if that I don't <laughs> I like that that's, that's good. <laughs> Listen, we'll take that. That's 14. I like it. I like it. I like it. I like it. So um the the various Rachel, the various voices, I guess you've got a mix of young and old women, women who have who maybe are in menopause, who have already are done with this part of their life. Uh, what what else stories look like? The menopause stories? Yes. Yeah. Again, that's one where it's like it's so important to have multiple perspectives because there's not one story. Um, one story that kind of opens the book is from a contributor who grew up in under the Soviet Union. And she talks about how there, and I think this may be true elsewhere too, women are more afraid of seeming old, um, mm. even death, she says. And so people would put literally to, to pretend that they still have their period so that their husbands wouldn't think that they were old. People would smear liver, like chopped liver in their underwear because no one wanted to be, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think maybe that story sounds extreme, but I think there are less extreme versions of that throughout. I mean, I mean it just speaks to the vulnerability of women in the world and their yeah. status and what can be taken away from them rather quickly based on their desirability and youth and, and all the things that, you know. Completely. And then, I mean, yeah, you see from, from hearing lots of stories that it's like the system is rigged because <laughs> there's, there's shame when you have it. There's shame when you don't have it. There's shame before you have it. Um, and, but yeah, but on the other hand, there are, some really funny, beautiful stories from people who talk about menopause as liberation. Um, and you're finally free and you're free from some kind of societal expectation. Um, as research for the book, I interviewed an OBGYN and she said mm. that she thinks there's actually more misunderstanding around menopause than any other stage of life for her patients that she sees. Um, that there's no real way of providing, at least for like teenagers, we have some kind of education system, not that it's perfect, but for menopause, it's a path that a lot of people walk alone. Mm. Um, and yeah, so, so it's interesting that it's not necessarily like it gets easier over the course of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as someone who has got to menopause, I was so grateful. Like I was <laughs> Like I knew when I turned 50, I was waiting away. It took about five years to get there, but I, and, I, and I was late getting there. But once I got there, I never looked back. I was like, oh God, thank you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just, just the, you know, I can think of, I can look back in my mind and see the added stress of having a period. Like, you know, I can, I can look back and see, you know, you have to, you know, the, the products don't mat, match what you have, you know, and, oh, so, so, you know, Rachel, what do you, what do you want people to get out of this book? Like what, what, do you have an end game for this book? Do you want it to inspire more honest dialogue? Do you, you know, do you want to put it in the hands of men? Do you want boys to have this book? Like what, what, what's your thinking? What's the big plan? 
Yes to everything you've just said. Um, I'm curious. I am also curious what Sophie thinks about this question too, but my my vision for it is really that it just, um, I mean, it's both large and small on like the small scale. I think I, I, I think we just need to learn how to have more intimate, vulnerable conversations with each other. And um, I hope that it becomes the spark in families. Um, maybe it's for parents who are parents of teenagers. Um, maybe it's for partners, lovers, brothers, um, definitely men. I think definitely men should all get this book for Christmas. <laughs> um because they're the ones that need to know especially um but I also think that it's like literature and it's just that these are profound stories and it's like there's so much art that's made about death there's art that's made about birth um and this is like a part of a part of our our great experience and life experience and um I mean, like Sophie and Zanette's pieces together, I think are just an incredible story. Like I move to tears every time I think about it. And um, it's just a, a story that needs to travel. And so I think we're finally at a cultural moment where that's possible. Mm. Yeah. So Sophie, when, you, when you're with your friends or your, and your girlfriends in particular, uh, is, is everybody on cycle now? Like, or is there's, maybe one or two girls who have not joined the club yet? Um, I, I don't, yeah, I don't think any of my friends um, haven't got their period yet. Um, yeah, I, I think we all have it. We don't have like shared cycles because there's a lot of different, like obviously like we're, we're not in like a, we don't have them at the same time because there's a lot of different factors, but we, yeah, we, I think most of my friends all, if not all have gotten their period. Now, do you have conversations about products? Like, do you, do you have conversations like, well, I like this, or I do this, or, you know, I take this for cramps, or I do this for cramps. I like this particular product, this tampon, this pad. Um, Because you I, got way more choices than I had when I was <laughs> Like, I had one um, choice. <laughs> I mean, like, if I get, like, really bad cramps, I'll, like, ask my friends if they have, like, Advil or ibuprofen. I love ibuprofen. That sounds bad. <laughs> ibuprofen is like it's a it, it's it's a good one for cramps for me um but I don't know we don't really talk about um it that I mean I, yeah we don't talk about it that much mm -hmm, <laughs> like mm -hmm. so so when you told them you were a part of this book what did they think like what did your circle think um I, I think it was really exciting my my uh, one of my best friends Evian he he was one of the ones that I sent like the video after it like originally happened. Like I sent it to him and like my friend Carly and um, they were both like, oh my God, like we were the first ones to know about this. That's so cool. Um, and a lot of my friends, cause I've been posting about it like on my Instagram and stuff. And a lot of my friends have been like, oh, that's so cool. I'm so proud of you. Like it's generally been like received really well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so do you feel like um, that, that it, it would be a good tool to sort of spur this conversation with other young people in your cohort like in that age range definitely yeah um my science teacher this is like this sounds so weird but my science teacher his <laughs> wife works at some like 
private like literary school and he asked me to come read to like the middle school students there I'm so excited but it was it was really interesting um because he was talking to me about it like what to expect and like what I was like comfortable with and he was like do you think it's like okay to like read this story to like middle schoolers and I was like yeah like of course like this is something that I think is really important and should be shared and he was like but like even to the boys too and I was like yes absolutely like this is it really has to be like a normal it is a normal thing and I think people really need to realize that like it's so normal and every day and like like why are we freaking out about this like what like yeah. and, and and why do they think boys would not understand this like I I don't, I don't I, I mean I don't, without it they wouldn't be here so I don't yeah <laughs> I don't know I think it's just like middle school boys like boys in general are very immature and middle school boys are immature too so I think he was just worried like I'm also a little bit worried about like how it will be received like oh like what are they gonna say what are they gonna say but I, I don't know and I think he was just worried about like the immaturity and stuff like that mm. so Rachel now that the book is out and getting good reviews and people are buzzing about it and talking about it, you know, um, are there more to, to do with this? Is there more that you want to see happen with this? Do you create another book? Do you move on from it? Do you, you know, what, what, what's the, what's the, what's the inspiration next? I think what Sophie's doing is kind of the, the next chapter of the book, which is like, there's, there's some times where you want to read these stories on the page and the privacy of your home. Um, but I also think hearing them out loud is like a totally other, it kind mm -hmm. of the floor like trembles, something else happens and it's really exciting. I'm so thrilled, Sophie, that you're doing that. That's awesome. We just came <laughs> off of a bunch of like live events where many contributors read together. Um, and so I think there will be some more of those that are happening. People want to bring various contributors to schools. Um, uh so I think there will there will be more events so stay tuned I think that's I think the next phase is like giving some more breath life to these accounts and once people hear them um you don't need to have read the book like once you hear them that also does something and it sparks conversation and I think um yeah unlikely listeners I think Sophie it's gonna go great <clears throat> once people hear your story they're gonna get it because <laughs> once you hear any of these stories you understand like oh yeah I I know why this needs to be shared why I'm connected to it why it's moving um why it's important well I'm so glad I had opportunity to talk to y'all this morning and I and I and I wanted to get it in before Thanksgiving because I just thought this was a wonderful sort of uh, book to get out there, get in front of people while while they're getting ready to for the holidays. If, if there's somebody on your list that you know is a good reader or might just might might want to turn into a good reader, this might be a good <laughs> book for them to sort of you know guide them on their journey in terms of how to be in the world with women and and people uh, um, at the at the very beginning of reproductive health stuff so i appreciate this and you know rachel i i know your mom so i just wanted to shout that out so it's lovely to meet you um uh because i, yes. I, I your mom is pretty cool out here in these art streets so it's very nice to meet you and uh sophie I, it's nice to meet you uh i knew your grandmother and i enjoyed her and i spent time with her and did poetry with her and so it is lovely to sort of see you so uh, so yeah so thank y'all. 
It's so beautiful, Babs, that you're connected to us across generations. <laughs> oh, it's thank you so much for having us. It's really wonderful to all get to talk together. Enjoy your holiday. Happy Before Thanksgiving. Leave, yes. Happy Thanksgiving. My dad really wants me to show you this picture. This is oh! me. And this is Annette. I was a baby. Yes, I love that. Oh my God. See, that's how I remember you. <laughs> that's the last time I saw you. You were like that. So, woo. so yes, that does my heart, does my heart well. And, and uh, there's not a day that goes by that nobody in this city doesn't whisper your grandmother's name. I'm not kidding you. There's not a day that goes by in this city that someone does not whisper her name in these spaces. So, so, uh, so it's nice to see you, girl. Nice to see you. Young lady, young person, young person. 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 <laughs> thank y'all have a good holiday Take and care. uh feel free thank to come back so anytime much. and talk about anything you want <laughs> <laughs> take good care all right harry thank you so much i will see you in a, in a couple of hours <laughs> see y'all later be good out there happy thanksgiving everybody i'll be back on monday but y'all be good and uh eat well from New Haven, Connecticut, and you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM, streaming live at New Haven Independent.